0: For more information, visit www.novic.co. This episode is brought to you by Nexus. Building a support a creator program is something all live service game developers should be doing. But without the right engineering bandwidth or marketing expertise, doing so can be a challenge nexus's creator program in a box makes it easy for game devs to build and manage world-class creator programs driving significant growth in conversion arpu retention and ltv nexus has partnered with incredible live service publishers like capcom grinding gear games hi res ninja kiwi and more and would love to help you our Novic gaming podcast listeners do the same if interested in learning more, simply head to nexus.gg novic There, you can learn more about the efficacy of support of creator programs and discover how to easily build your own. Again, that's nexus.gg novic or check out the link in the show notes. And with that, let's jump into the episode. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Aaron Bush. And today, I am super excited to be joined again by Moritz Bayer-Lentz, partner and head of gaming at Lightspeed Venture Partners. I'm losing track of how many times Moritz has been on the podcast. I think this is number three or number four, but we're always happy to have him on. Last year, one of our most popular episodes was with Mortz, in which we broke down the state of gaming venture markets and talked about the brand new launch of Lightspeed Gaming, which also became one of Novik's Open Gaming Research Initiative partners. But now that it's 2024... I figured it's a great time to hear Moritz's updated thoughts on how gaming VC continues to change, how the first year of Lightspeed Gaming is gone, and of course, share some thoughts about the future. So, with all of that said, Moritz, welcome back to the Novic Gaming Podcast.
1: Thanks so much for having me again.
0: Yeah, this is, this is going to be a fun hour or so, and I figure we can kick things off with an update on Lightspeed Gaming itself, which, as I mentioned, you've now been plugging away for a, almost exactly a year now at mm-hmm. this new, new venture of yours. What can you tell us about the, the first year so far? Maybe we can start with the investment side of the equation.
1: Yeah, sure. I think in hindsight, we, we packed a lot into 2023. I'm very happy with how it turned out. I'm glad we're starting with investments since ultimately, even with all the other things we do, like marketing events, syndication, writing, etc. Like ultimately, like our, our job is really building high-performing venture capital funds and partnering with what we think are the most extraordinary founders in gaming and in interactive media. And my main job, and really everything's in service of that job, is to make sure that we remain the number one choice for those founders. And so the best measure for us, whether we did this, you know, obviously running up on on actual returns and realized gains, is were we able to partner with who we think were the most extraordinary picks in 2023? And I think Looking at the three deals we did, we're very proud uh, of who we were able to uh, partner up with here. The first one that we announced was in March uh, of 2023. That's a game studio called Believer. Very ambitious mission, very ambitious fundraise too with a 55 million seat that we technically labeled a Series A because seed and A money was raised in one go. It's an X-Riot team, former producer, executive producer of Wild Rift, Michael Chow. And then the former and the first producer, actually, of League of Legends, Snow. And the two of them started a new venture, not just bringing in a lot of great folks from Riot Games, but also really across the industry. They're building an MMO. We wrote about it extensively as well, so people can look up what they're up to. And then the second uh, investment, which was also a studio investment, was Gardens Interactive. Uh, we announced that in July, I think. And uh, this is a really unique team that I think blends creativity with AAA ambitions, like we haven't really seen anything like that, or I had personally not seen anything like this team. I I do think it really stands out in what and how they're building what we also think will be a very popular forever game, fingers crossed. Both of these games probably going to launch around 25, 26 timeframes, so still a lot to build out. And then the last one that we announced in August of 23 was Inworld. This is a company that I've actually had some shared history with from my BitCraft days. I let this seed in late 2021, and then we preempted the Series B. This was just one company looking at everything that was going on at the intersection of gaming and AI coming into Lightspeed that I want to make sure we have exposure to. And so we're trying to work something out with them. They didn't really need the capital but I'm super glad we got to partner up in this new capacity as well. And if I'd have to pick one company to have the best shot at being that next generational company in gaming, the next Unity, the next Roblox, I think InWorld is a really strong pick.
0: Yeah. And all three of those companies are exciting. And we actually have had two out of the three on our podcast and discussed in depth what they're working on, how they think about building out the future of. AI or AAA gaming or, or what have you, we talked to the founders of Gardens. And so if you just type in Navic Gardens and, and Google or on our website, you can find that conversation. And we had a couple episodes with the leadership of in-world of AI talking both about the company, but also just the future of AI and gaming too. So if you're interested in learning more about those companies, definitely go check those, those out. Those are both really informative and interesting episodes. I guess second for you, Moritz, obviously, you spend most of your time on the investing work—the the diligence, the meeting with teams. How have you been spending your time when not in the investing weeds as you build out this Lightspeed Gaming practice?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I, I would say two thirds or three quarters of the time is always directly spent on either finding new relevant investments or supporting existing investments. And then the question is, how do you spend that extra? third or quarter in service of of that main goal. And I think the clear answer for us in 2023 was really getting the word out about Lightspeed being very serious about gaming. Lightspeed is by no means new to gaming or was not 12 months ago. They've been investing in this space since 2006, even all the way back to Playdom, Congregate, Snap, if you count that into the interactive media umbrella. And Epic Games and Triple Dot are also recent breakouts. But I think especially for a generalist fund in today's landscape where, and we'll talk about this later, maybe you'll find a lot of active investors, specialists, generalists, and also strategics looking at gaming and interactive media. I think it's really important to stand out and there's no other way to get especially seed and to some extent, Series A deal flow by being a lighthouse that attracts founders because there's no one to chase or track for a seed investment. These investments need to come to you. So with that in mind, some of the things we did, we were pretty pretty open around us doubling down on gaming in January. I think when we announced the practice, we pushed that across uh, 30, 40 media outlets, um, including Forbes, Axios, Information. We We um, started Q1 with targeted events. In February, we hosted uh, about 200 gaming and interactive media founders in LA for a founder-focused event. And then In March, uh, we organized a CEO reception at GDC, um, inviting and bringing together 250 CEOs from public companies, private companies, and then the most promising startups. We did that in partnership with Goldman, uh, Microsoft, Sony, and Niantic. We're planning something similar again for the upcoming GDC in March. So this this has already established itself as somewhat of a staple event. And then... I'd say, apart from the deal announcements and deal PR for Believer, for Gardens, for InWorld, launching a separate Lightspeed Gaming website was probably one of the key activities on the marketing front last year. I think really setting up a home for founders where they can learn about our existing portfolio, what we focus on, the way we work and support founders, and learn more about that. And then I'd say, in terms of initiatives, Game Changers was, was clearly a highlight for yeah. us and, and I think for many others. We did that in partnership with GameSpeed. Essentially, we were looking at the, the landscape and while there are many lists in, in gaming, for example, Forbes has a category for gaming or games now, we actually helped them out as a, as a judge, but they focus on individuals. And unlike many other sectors and industries, there isn't actually a list that puts a spotlight on the most exciting startups in gaming and interactive media, adjacent technology innovations. And so we thought it was a gap. We wanted to fill it and did that in partnership not only with GameSpeed, but also I think 15, 20 executives from the industry, all C-level executives, including Activision Blizzard, Amazon, ByteDance, Disney, Roblox, you name it. And I think while most people think this was a big deal flow hack for us because we allowed people to nominate others, friends, or nominate themselves. And we did a lot more applications, uh, receive a lot more applications than we expected. But a lot of these companies were already close worth or tracking. And so really, this is a celebration of all the amazing things that are happening and and also the increasingly diverse uh, set of founders that are pursuing those interesting opportunities. Um Slush was a highlight for me in, in Q4. We had a across lightspeed and especially with the European team, a big present, including a few main stage slots, hosted CEO of Believer there as well. And yeah, I think there was, we we really packed a lot <laughs> in yeah. terms of marketing and events into 2023. So the way I look at it for 2024 is, I would say we're almost in in, in maintenance mode rather than getting the word out there. Because I I would like to think that Everyone who is of a certain caliber and is starting in, in gaming, whether that's a game studio or a gaming platform or adjacent technology in 3D or a- interactive AI, would hopefully reach out to us and, and that's, that's how we per- that's how we perceive it at least currently.
0: Well, you've certainly had a, a busy year of building this, this practice up from the ground, and it seems like it's been uh, an early success for you, too, which is great. One, one last question on this before we can move on to some mm-hmm. other stuff. When, we, when I first heard about your move to Lightspeed, it, it sounded very much like Mort's on a mission. It was, it was you, a very small team, building this practice up. How Over the past year, how has the team changed? at all? Have you built it up at all? What's been
1: the, the focus on the people side? Yeah, I think maybe starting with a bit of Lightspeed's philosophy, I, and, and I like it quite a bit, is we're always pursuing different strategies and trying to keep teams as nimble as possible. We also just, I think it's important to highlight organizationally or in terms of organizational culture, there's, no, there's technically speaking no gaming team there's no gaming fund. All the work we do across all of Lightspeeds, across all sectors, across all geographies is not siloed. And all partners draw from the same investment pool and carry pool and come together dynamically to best assess, to source, to assess, and then ultimately support companies independent of what formal sector, so to speak, the company falls in but really based on a um, topical assessment of what's most relevant in terms of our skills and expertise um, for every company we partner with. And InWorld is a great example, which is a company that was primarily uh, diligenced and ultimately also got the approval from a team that was probably more heavily weighed on the enterprise side than it was on the gaming and consumer side. And so... When you look at and we have the we have the full team we have everyone who looks at gaming across all of Lightspeed also listed on on the gaming on the Lightspeed Gaming website, you'll see it's actually quite a big team that stretches across consumer that stretches across enterprise. We have fintech team members looking at it. Occasionally, we've looked at applied game mechanics in healthcare. Even with our healthcare team, uh, it's not something where we've pulled a trigger today, but. I think for us the core team, the core gaming team, which includes Paul and Sean and Faraz and myself, that's probably at its um, final size with around four four dedicated investors who all at the same time also pursue other subsectors at Lightspeed. Paul's very active on climate. Sean's looking at uh, growth opportunities outside of gaming and across consumer. Faraz is uh, an early stage consumer investor for us more broadly, and so it's a very Dynamic model. And it's basically always driven by expertise and unique contributions that every team member brings in the diligence process.
0: Well, Moritz, we always have a bunch of founders that listen to these episodes and are always interested in learning from you and, and others like you. And so I think it would be helpful just to talk briefly about what Lightspeed offers founders. What have you? set up to support founders over the past year? And what are you looking to do more of in the future?
1: Yeah. And then, by the way, I think that that extra third or extra quarter that we mentioned for marketing, since that's in maintenance uh, mode now, a lot of that will probably go into building that value-add platform out even further. The most important thing I'll say in terms of company support is that because we consider ourselves conviction-based investors, we only make about two to three investments per partner per year. It's very different uh, from a lot of other investors and gaming investors out there. And so what that means for portfolio companies, they'll always work with a partner directly on, on everything that matters. Not obviously only will we join uh, all the board meetings, but there are many companies that I have, uh, including my own investments and those that I have inherited at Lightspeed that I'm probably in touch with daily, including on the weekends. And so what are those tangible areas of support? Executive and design and engineering talent hiring is probably a a big one. We have three in-house experts at Lightspeed for that across sectors. And then also we have gaming specific partnerships um, that help us, especially for studio hiring. I think people get a kick out of the Fundraising and syndication support that, that I provide, and this is probably an area where I'm sometimes having a bit too much fun. But if if folks look at the syndicates we put together for, yeah, really all all of them, like Believer Gardens in World, I think just those this year covered investors from Amazon, Disney, Goldman, Google, Intel, Meta, Microsoft, Nintendo, which was a first for N- Nintendo. actually you know right games stanford i mean we can people people can can google and go through a list themselves but i i do genuinely think that every time there's an opportunity to raise a new round like who that money comes from matters quite a bit and in rounds where we lead and we tend to lead, we lead about like 80 percent of of the deals those rounds are are always i think oversubscribed and and Founders could just close the round, they hopefully select us to lead the round, and then they also already have investors who are interested in filling it up. I typically start with a blank sheet with these founders and say, okay, we we sign the term sheet, we have four, five, six weeks to sign the long form. In that time, why don't we really start, again, from first principles, from scratch, and think about what would be the absolute dream setup? And forget about whether you know these parties, forget about if I know these parties, and I know a lot of interesting parties but I also don't know everyone who comes up and we'll just we'll just try and there's sometimes very exotic picks in there when it comes to angel ideas and celebrity and, and involvement and, and to hack distribution and I think the crazy part is we we'll probably usually get about 70 80% even of of kind of like a, a stretch list and then wow. social proof builds up as you build out this syndicate and I think it also helps massively in PR and marketing of the round and, and just overall attention. But yeah, I mean, we we help quite a bit on operations and executions, obviously an area where we've been helping companies for 20 years, like over 200 exits at, at Lightspeed. Like this is a machine that actually really knows how to drive to, to outcomes. Marketing and publishing, the same fun we've had, I think for Lightspeed Gaming, we've had with our portfolio companies and announcements last year, including securing the Nasdaq Tower for, for a whole day of, of celebrating the Game Changers winners and, and that kind of stuff. And then introductions is probably an area also where we shine quite a bit. For Inworld, we made, I think, over 700 introductions and 200 are now in the, the customer pipeline with The Gardens team, we went to Japan and Korea in November to meet with 17 publishers. This was at a time where they had just raised the series A. So like they needed money the least. Nevertheless, we thought there's never an excuse to be had to get closer to especially also regional publishers in in the region. And so we're very (laughs) hands-on. I I walk my butt off, just as I would expect my my founders to do it. And I think Making founders happy and just going above and beyond on value add beyond just capital. That's also truly how you win competitive rounds. Because I can talk all day long about how great of a pick Lightspeed would be. But if you find yourself in a situation against other formidable VC funds, the single best thing I think you can do is just make introductions to the companies you already work with and let those founders speak on your behalf. And ideally, let them give references. that are just so off the charts that that they simply don't get those kind of references from anyone else. They they, they should be over the moon and putting their hand in the fire for you. That's kind of the model, and it works when you do. It works when you partner up with two or three per year. It it works when you sit on like five or six boards. It doesn't work when you invest in twenty or thirty. It doesn't work when you sit on ten boards, and so. It's like a big, big part of our organizational philosophy and strategy there.
0: Awesome. Well, I want to switch gears to start talking about the, the state of venture capital and specifically gaming VC, but maybe as a, a bridge question to that, one topic that we've talked about offline is the fact that much of gaming entrepreneurship is not actually that venture investable today. And part of it is due to the market having changed. Uh, part of it is due to the state of the venture market and kind of who you are as an investor and what your goals are. But I wanted to get your thoughts on, as we, we look at the beginning of 2024, what are the corners of the the gaming world that you think are most venture investable?
1: Yeah, I, I segment the work for us into four domains. And Played around with the nomenclature even during uh, the BitCraft days. And I guess as long as you're mutually exclusive, collectively exhaustive, at least to some extent, it, it works. Um, the first one, probably not a surprise to folks, is studios. We are actively investing into those creating new content and IP. I think we do it quite differently from almost all funds pursuing this category. It's still A category where really venture is trying to wrap their head around and that is because it's a very binary um investment category by and large even with all the business model innovations we've seen over the last i I guess at this point five five plus years um that have helped venture warm up to it a little bit more i mean if you look at the sheer amount of funding that has gone into the space and this, the amount of studios that are funded, I think it's aggressively pursued because historically it's the category in gaming that has produced the most exits. You know, I think it's very easy to look to Unity and Roblox as like the shining examples, but there's more content and IP and game studios that have crossed the $2.5 billion exit mark than there is for related platforms and technology. and even yeah, few that's where most of the, the revenue
0: that's where most of the it, revenue it, in the industry is, yeah.
1: It, it's true. How do you ignore that as a generalist that's in, in its other sectors or domains drawn to something that probably resembles more the platform and tech investments? And, and at least my take is you don't. You try, you try to catch generational companies in gaming. And I think it'd be crazy to assume that that doesn't include also new providers of content and IP. And so it is a focus for us. But in part due to, and I like that, owed to the size of our fund, we're working with a $7 billion fund across some um, early and growth stage. For us to really turn the needle in terms of uh, fund returns and putting putting a, 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 a turn on the fund, you really need to get to outliers that can as, get as close as possible to like even a $50 billion valuation, right? Like a $7 billion fund, if, if we want to build and continue to build high-performing funds for our LPs, you need to put three Forex plus funds together. So let's call that roughly $25 billion returned to LPs from this vintage. And you own on average 5 to 10% at point of exit. You actually have to get to a consolidated $250 billion or $500 billion in aggregate exit value. Now, again, yeah. that's across sectors and geographies. But contributing a $1 billion outcome or $2 billion outcome to that, it might get you a, a tap on the back, but you're not you're not really carrying the firm into fund. And so I think on the studios, there's a ruthless focus on what are actually the projects that can become you know, everything that's such a venture cliche, like the own IP, LifeOps, cross platform forever games. And I think if, if you look, and obviously, we're not disclosing too much, but if you read through the lines of what Believer and Gardens are building, it, it fits that vision very well, and it lends itself at least to the possibility of an outcome to that scale, where I think the overwhelming projects I see do not. And it's fine, right? That, that, those Personally, I love playing indie games the most. I spend actually most of my play, if it's not Rocket League I just played through Dredge through all of December, like loved it. And if I'm bored, if I want to find a new game, it's typically an, an indie game. But personal interest and and commercial interest couldn't be further apart here. And so that's kind of how we play the the studio category. And then the other categories: interactive platforms and and interactive technology. Thing on the platform side, obviously AI assisted UGC world creation. Like, what is the next? roblox and and how does it look different like that's something we we spend a lot of time thinking about are there other form factors including xr that might drive new types of social platforms um the new ugc paradigms like even obviously everything that's going on in the roblox and uefn publisher universe and then interactive technology i mean this this is an area where we're spending quite a bit of time it won't surprise people to hear that AI and AI applications in gaming. And there are many from NPCs to generative 2D, 3D assets, moderation and modulation, new forms of 3D asset creation, whether that's actually generative or closer to reality capture. We're looking at XR again, and we can talk about it a bit maybe later as one of those areas where maybe there's a consensus opinion that's wrong. And maybe this is an area Mm -hmm. where with a bit of a twist on it, There's actually a way to be contrarian and right. And then also through our partners at Faction, we look at Web3 and blockchain implementations in in gaming. And so it's a broad range of things um, where we will pull the trigger. All of these opportunities have one thing that unites them, which is do we see a path for this to be a multi billion dollar plus company? And it's oftentimes a little bit easier to see that on the studio side. It takes a lot of hard work and thinking to discern which platforms and technologies within the lifecycle of a fund can lend themselves to such venture outcomes. But I'm not, not pretending that our life's easy too. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. Well, let's go ahead and zoom out a little bit and just look at venture more holistically for, for a moment. And I think mm-hmm. it would help the audience, especially those who aren't in the weeds of venture every day like you are, to kind of start with a like a just a brief market overview of where we're at. So, Moritz, maybe could you provide a quick view of how venture markets as a whole shifted in 2023, and whether there's anything notable about the state of venture capital generally today as we we kick off
1: 2024? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I th- so. I think most people will have followed markets and market commentary in, in 2023. There is all, This is also an area where there is a lot of consensus discussion and debate around certain topics like, oh, valuations are coming down or are resetting. Oh, it's so much harder to raise venture capital now. And to some of it, it's reflected in the graphs, right? Like just just to be fair, numbers-wise, I think. We're down almost two thirds from the peak. The peak being, uh, I think, Q4 2021. We've seen about 180 billion in global venture activity. This is not just gaming, this is across all sectors. And I think the most recent numbers of Q3 are, are around 60, 70 billion dollars. So that's down significantly, right? And so we need to be fair here. In terms of valuations, I, I think it's interesting to look. At the public indices, the S&P right now, as of the time of recording this podcast, is actually at an all-time high. The Nasdaq is pretty close to it, but it's somewhat misleading because it's carried by just a few stocks, I think, like seven or eight stocks. So it also begs the question, where is value actually accruing in this world? And who will reap most of the benefits that probably over the next two, three, five plus years are driven by innovations around generative AI, where strategics and existing large companies are already heavily investing for that very reason. But I think, and this is this is true I know or I feel strongly about in gaming, but also think beyond the gaming sector is it's oftentimes not the full story to just look at the graph, say, oh, everything's down two-thirds. So it's like three times as hard to get a round done right now. The way I would look at it is 2020 and 21 and 22 has seen an influx of startups and also investors. There's been an unprecedented amount of new solo investors entering the market. Like right now, I'm tracking around 100 gaming investors. That's generalists, specialists, and strategics and so then the the question becomes also who should really receive venture funding and who should really give out venture funding in a time of low interest rates it's easy to make things look good and it's easy to portray an early win but coming back to really arguing from first principles and looking at every project and maybe also looking at the quality of of some investing professionals who hadn't previously demonstrated their capabilities with a sufficient track record, but nevertheless were able to bring another 50 million fund or so into the game. This is not a gaming specific comment. I think we've we've actually specifically seen that outside of gaming. There's a lot of tourist capital and there's a lot of tourist startups. And in gaming, I would say those were primarily in, in the Metaverse and Web3 category. This is not a common commentary against Web3, but I think people will understand, or most listeners here will not be surprised to hear that that's probably the area where we saw most non-gaming native founders dress up something as, as gaming-related and were never really equipped with the skills, the tools, the talent to produce What ultimately matters most in gaming, which is producing an engaging, enduring, retaining experience. Um, And everything else is is second to that. So is it harder now to raise venture capital? Are valuations a little depressed? Yes. Is it as bad as it looks like when you look at the graphs? I think no, because quality teams are still out there. They're coming to market. They're still demanding attractive valuations. Um, There's still a lot of capital on the fun side that's undeployed, that's looking for good opportunities. And if you were just draw graphs for top talent and top firms, I think the charts would look extremely different.
0: Is there anything different about the state of venture in gaming that maybe is divergent from the state of venture more broadly across tech right now?
1: Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar at least looking at deal counts for example so on from an activity perspective i think we're at about 130 deals a quarter the peak was 400 so again being q4 21 q1 22 so just numbers wise or, or or from a bird's eye perspective it looks very similar to the general vc landscape dynamics and i think this like when you drill one layer down the same dynamic holds where Quality teams still raise successful rounds. Or uh, well, you know, there's a lot of quality teams out there. So let me rephrase it. I'd say the the best teams still demand attractive valuations and get their rounds done. The there's a bit of a dynamic on the gaming side where this was, in addition to venture tailwinds, also a category that has seen so much interest in the 2020, 21, and 22 timeframe that there were. Even over proportional amount of new venture funds, including Bitcraft, which was not formed in, in 2020, but really scaled massively in 2020 and 21. And now there's a handful of funds out there already that reach this almost you know, institutional or like close close to generalist uh, size in gaming, with a um, billion dollars, around a billion dollars plus in assets under management. I think they're now. Five-ish funds or so that really really weren't on the radar in two thousand nineteen as much, and you cut a, at that point with with those scaled assets under management to raise new funds and to keep the music going, you need to increasingly attract institutional funders. So the first funds you typically raise from family and friends, family offices. Uh, maybe strategic investors, and this is a is a plug for maybe some sympathy with with investors here that we're also heavily fundraising all the time or most of the time, right? That this is not our capital that we're investing, so we're exposed to the same market dynamics in, in in that sense. And I think specifically to gaming, one thing that I've been thinking about is there are funds now that have many hundred million or a billion under management. They need to attract institutional investors. Institutional investors look really at one thing and one thing only, which is performance of historical returns and stability of returns. Like Really, what's your proven ability to to generate outcomes for LPs? And there's an additional difficulty here for gaming funds on top of all the, the macro things that are going on, where the more game studio heavy they are, the more projects they'll be exposed to that are effectively in incubation for, let's say, three to four years, at least on the AAA PC console side of things. And so it's very hard to to show any crazy outliers on that front because even if you raise the next round and maybe the following round, you're still not public. Um, You may have recorded a 3x, 5x, maybe even a 10x markup, but you're compared to funds who are investing in SaaS, Biotech, like areas where within three to four years a company can actually completely knock it out of the park, drive massive multiples, and it's a very it's a very outlier driven game like those can really drive fund returns favorably and by over overweighing on studios, you almost exclude yourself from the ability to have these outliers in 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 the portfolio, which is by design to some extent, but it, it does make fundraising i think a little bit harder if only those funds had another year or two to kind of like show where these studios go and can go post launch but yeah then on the other hand i don't think anyone really expected to be a 500 million or a billion fund you know two years three years four years in so it's yeah. uh <laughs> a lot you has have changed. to choose your battles
0: <laughs> yeah oh, well let's go ahead and play forward what might happen to certain corners of the venture market and gaming this year then. And maybe we can start on like the, the earliest stage corner of the market. So pre-seed and seed, which of course, as you mentioned, like everything has seen a decrease in the number of deals and the valuation of these deals over the past couple of years. Um, what do you think is going to happen in 2024? Uh, is it going to rebound, hold steady? Any guesses?
1: Yeah, I, I would say it's probably going to be similar to what we've seen in Q3, Q4. If, again, we're using the graphs as a as an indicator, we're basically stabilizing right now at this new normal, which is two-thirds of the peak. So I I don't see any strong indicator for why Q1, Q2 would look very different from Q3 or Q4 this year or last year. I think studios, because I think folks are waking up to the realization that maybe too many studios had seen funding over the last three years, might probably scale down a little bit on the early stage side. And we'll see more things that look a little bit more similar to what has historically been a focus in venture, which is platforms and technology. And by the way, maybe these studios will also find a new home and increase publishing activity or publisher investing activity or go back to the traditional yeah. publisher model because again venture venture looks for investments that have a small chance to be a billion or ideally multi-billion dollar companies i i just don't think that's the right approach for a lot of great ideas that studio founders have and so maybe we see a bit of a natural return to to the publisher funded model for those that'll probably be my my biggest prediction is that there's going to be a shift from studios to platforms and, and tech adjacent, gaming adjacent platforms and tech.
0: Yeah, that makes sense to me. I, I buy that line of reasoning. But how about the, the later stage side of venture? And this is, of course, an area that Lightspeed plays heavily into as well, given the, the amount of money you're investing and in generating as you needing to generate, as you mentioned, 250, 500 billion dollars and. And, and market cap at exit, in a sense, you have to put pretty meaningful amounts of money in. But as we've seen over the past year or so, later stage markets, kind of across the board, have dried up as there mm-hmm. have been those valuation resets and investors and and companies not wanting to to create rounds that are heavily dilutive or blow up cap tables from from the past and just all the messiness that. That comes with that, and that naturally takes time to 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 work itself out. But how do you think that side of venture and gaming is going to play out in twenty twenty four?
1: Yeah, I mean, so just just maybe on a on a, a light speed firmware level, among our peers, we were actually the least active growth investors in twenty one. This is looking directly at some data we pulled from Crunchbase here. So we we've. We've been holding back quite a bit in what seemed like I can take credit for that because I wasn't actually part of Lightspeed at the time. So maybe that's an important caveat here. But the team was holding back pretty well on um, what looked like a time of of frothy multiples. And we've actually been the most active growth investor. This is investing in companies north of a billion dollar valuation in 2023. So we I think we played that landscape pretty nicely, but its growth is a is a big, big focus area for us as a firm. Has been in twenty three, will be in twenty four. I think personally speaking, if, if there's one thing I would point to where I'm adjusting also my focus and where I'm looking, it would be from early stage or at least pre product market fit to to post launch. Post-product market fit opportunities in gaming, they can still be on the early stage side, and then specifically growth opportunities in gaming. This is definitely an area where we'll where we'll look a lot more heavily this year, also for gaming and interactive media.
0: Gotcha. A year ago, I asked you what your what advice you're giving to teams who may have a harder time raising additional capital due to. The valuations and expectations resetting that we were alluding to, and at the time we talked about, for instance, being more conservative with burn rates and making money last deeper into the future and such. What advice are you giving to these teams today? Is it similar to what it was a year ago, or has it evolved a bit? What, what are you advising these teams on?
1: Yeah, I, I don't think it's changed too much. I, I, I guess in hindsight, the advice we covered twelve months ago was probably pretty spot on for how um, 23 unfolded. I, I really think it's important. And this is probably the, the most important thing is to really not focus too heavily on, on dilution and making sure to get sufficient capital in to last at least two years. This is how we've done our rounds. And it's probably easy for someone to look at the deals we've done and say, Oh, yeah, but Those companies also, they raise a lot of money. They are able to raise at a high valuation. Yes, but also, I think in all those cases, they either took more dilution than people would maybe expect just looking at the deals. Or in the case of InWorld, it was a preempted round where the company didn't even need the money necessarily. And so... We're, we're kind of like following our own advice or are, are hoping to find founders with an open ear for the fact that I think this will continue to be a market where making sure you really have time to build, hit the next milestone, come out of the gate strong and, and, and return to the capital markets and ask people for money. And honestly, like it's really hard to do in a 12-month time frame. And it's better to do in a 24-month time frame. Now, obviously, a lot of these companies, if they follow their plan, they have something great to show within 12 months, within 18 months. And so they may still tap the capital markets then, but having that extra buffer. And in some cases, what are you really giving up? Oftentimes, I see founders negotiate to death about even five percentage points of dilution. And I think in the grand scheme of things, like, if if it gets you a little bit closer to building a generational company, then that might be the wrong thing to focus on in some of these instances.
0: All right. Well, let's let's go ahead and talk about the future as we near the the final segment of our episode. And so we've hit on this in, in some ways, but gaming VC has steadily been evolving <laughs> for at least as long as I've been paying attention in the past five years or so, and I'm sure well before that too. As the industry was was much more on the rise. And it still continues to change, right? You talked about the entry of generalist firms. You talked about how some of the more gaming-specific firms that started are have now raised tremendous capital or almost more generalists themselves. We've seen maybe publishers so, show some greater signs of being more venture investors and moving beyond just the publishing model. And, of course, AI the chat around ai and better tooling is at least creating conversation around teams becoming more efficient and what that means for the money that they have to raise in order to create the types of games that they want and so my question to you is we've obviously seen the market change quite a lot over the past 5 years but as you look to the next 3 to 5 years of gaming venture what are the main ways that you think that the industry may change.
1: Yeah, I would say there's probably going to be less funds at that point in 3 to 5 years pursuing the sector. I think we'll have at that point less specialist funds around. On the flip side, some of the some of today's specialist funds will have grown further and have have established themselves as maybe also somewhat generalist funds that go well beyond just gaming or game studios and and go into platforms and technology uh, more aggressively and, and more broadly, like similar to what we're, we're focused on. I think we'll see less studio investing at that point, as, as discussed previously. A lot of them will go back to the um, traditional publisher model. I think it's also important to be intellectually honest about gaming as a VC category and, and just be open about the fact that we still are looking to just get that first feedback loop in over probably the next 18 months. Because this is, this is a domain where, in earnest, venture investing started around late 2019, 2020, specialists only. And so we're, the jury is not out, uh, especially on studios. I think platforms and tech looks, it rhymes enough with traditional venture that I don't see why that should not work out, obviously, you need to pick the right ones and and you need to be extremely sharp about it. But I think studio investing, the jury is still out. It feels right to me. It feels super exciting to me. I always probably push more on it than I should, but that's also it's grounded on a firm belief that that there's great returns and great companies to be built here, as evidenced in the past. I think those are the main themes. I have no doubt that as a category, just looking at the underlying tailwinds, societal tailwinds, technological tailwinds, gaming's only going to grow. I'd be really surprised to see like an industry decline over the next three to five years. But as we've touched upon earlier, it's always a big question of where the additional value accrues and whether that's existing gaming companies, strategics incumbents, or if we continue to see early stage startups win. And Michael Chow, the, the CEO of Believer, he made this great point, I think during Game Changers and then also in the slush recording. And I, I firmly believe this too, because otherwise I should pack my stuff and, and probably not do venture investing. He said, especially in a time where there's a lot of shifting. And we are in the middle of a platform shift. I would call generative AI a platform shift. I would actually put it on the same uh, pedestal as as I would put the emergence of the internet, the introduction of the mobile phone, and now it's this wave of generative AI. It's going to be a a time of a lot of change in the next uh, three to five years. And I think a lot of the scaled companies and strategics on the gaming side, somewhat different from technology more broadly, where the big companies are actually investing heavily in generative AI. I get a bit of an impression that on on the gaming side, there's a lot of skepticism still and careful exploration of these new technologies. And they're really playing not to lose while the startups are playing to win because that's all they have going for them. And I think it's going to create a dynamic where, especially in gaming and interactive media, we'll actually see a lot of value shift to newcomers versus existing companies. And so That's an exciting playground and an exciting playing field, I think, for anyone who's starting up in that domain and funding in that domain. Um,
0: Well, let's segue a bit to how you're thinking as an investor these days and where you're looking. What areas of the market are you more interested in this year than you have been in the past? Is it mainly just AI or are there other, other
1: areas catching your interest as well? Yep. So I would say big focus is growth stage and post-product market fit versus pre-launch. And I would also say the other big focus shift is continuing to do studios extremely selectively. We'll probably do one studio, maybe two studio mm. deals in, in in 24 by design, similar to actually what we did last year, where we did where we did two studio deals. And the there's so many interesting opportunities I think in, in generative AI applications both on the developer workflow side but actually more interestingly on the you know what I call previously impossible and new user experiences. We wrote about this quite extensively also in the uh, the thought piece we put out middle of last year where well, we created a market map of the generative AI landscape but also shared a little bit more broadly how we are thinking about that space and, In general, in previous platform shifts, like the introduction of the internet, like the introduction of the mobile phone, the companies that really knock it out of the park are not the ones that incrementally improve, make things a little bit faster, cheaper, better, but create experiences and build from the ground up for new paradigms and really change the face of whatever industry it is they're operating in. And so I think InWorld is a great example for that versus some of the more developer-focused applications helping them create 2D assets, 3D assets, for example. We have a big focus this year on interactive media applications and platforms that resemble social networks. That can re- those are really the companies that can reach massive scale within a, a fun cycle. I'm not just talking about a Discord or a Roblox here. But in general, consumer and social media breakouts, which is that's probably the number one consumer category or outlier category in in terms of fund returners out there. Like, what, how is that changing? What are some picks in there where it's either a gaming born innovation or gaming influences what these social media applications and platforms look like over the next few years? I'm personally very excited about innovations we see in 3D. And I love those innovations that are born in gaming, but can also have vertical use cases. If you look at NVIDIA, for example, right? Like, this is a company that originated because it was the most powerful computational engine for video games, which really you know, started as a video game company, GPU company, and, and now it serves all these massive verticals well beyond its original focus in gaming became the backbone of AI, became the backbone of of blockchain also. So what are those innovations that are either hardware, but probably more for our software innovations that that can have the same effect? And this includes novel game engines. I would put InWorld in that category as well. I think this is the the leading AI native or AI first game engine at, at this point, really certainly include generative 3D in there. But also, I think reality capture is still really interesting. Nerve, volumetric video, and and that kind of stuff. And then, on, I teased it a little bit, but XR is an interesting area. So maybe we just talk a a bit about that. I think during BitCraft, we're leaning in, still very excited about the the one XR investment I, I actually made during that time, which is Trip. But I think, especially for a fund of our size, And then also looking at the install base projections that were a little bit underwhelming, to be honest, over the last 18 months or so post-COVID peak. It's really hard to make a case for there being a sufficient install base and specifically active install base to hit those multi-billion dollar outcomes. And I think to some extent, AI might be the answer here as well. And maybe when we talk about XR and sensing devices, where we had been overly focused on new screens and new visual input, and and we'll see. Maybe Apple actually breaks through the mold and the Vision Pro is about to come out. And so maybe that's going to drive a real change in user behavior, but also they're only going to produce so many units this this year, right? So even, even in an aggressive uh, model, they're not going to add a lot of projected install base this year certainly i think only yeah. up to 400,000 or so and then, yeah, that's mostly enterprise you know, yeah yeah it's 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 enterprise heavy but compare that to pc console or definitely mobile install bases. it's just still one or two orders of magnitude off in terms of active install base but what if we're shifting thinking to Augmented reality maybe being one where we rely on sensing devices. And we've seen like some interesting ones pop up this year, like the Humane pin, for example. Uh, I think Meta's Ray-Ban glasses are super interesting and not yeah. talked about enough. And if you combine that with our advances in generative AI and then also the ability to bring a lot of these models on device I think that's a super interesting that's a super interesting and physically very viable outlook for the near term that that will actually change consumer behavior and consumer experiences quite a bit and it it doesn't fall victim to the ongoing hard work that still needs to be done on on optics and To some extent, like sheer physical limitations for making augmented reality glasses work, but maybe they don't. Maybe they don't need that to be extremely valuable devices over the next couple of years. And so, I don't know if you'd call that XR or not, or or, or sensing devices enabled by on-device generative AI. But I think that's a super interesting area. It's also a good example for one where you know calling this thing light speed gaming, but really. I'm starting calling it lightspeed gaming and interactive media now. Because I noticed people that. hadn't noticed, and so there's a and then this is also a great example where we can then draw on the the rich expertise of um, our enterprise investors who've been looking at computer vision, AI, and a lot of these fields that that then come together with maybe our expertise in, in gaming and interactive media and have been investing in that space not just for the last year since it's been hot, but like in some cases five years, 10 years.
0: Yeah. Well, that's a really exciting answer. And (laughs) I'm super curious to see where all that technology goes and how gaming fits into it. I mean, it's definitely a wave that's much bigger than gaming and in a lot of ways. So good to hear that you're putting your generalist hat on to some degree and looking at that. Really quickly, I wanted to hit back on one of the first things that you said and in the answer about what you're looking at that's different. And you said last pre-launch... Companies and more companies that have hit product market fit to some degree. Can you explain why you're you're making that change right now?
1: Yeah, I mean I think it's this is partly also a micro comment and not necessarily a, a perspective or a talk track from a macro perspective. I think we just have a a whole lot of really exciting pre-launch opportunities in the fund. I think it's a little bit owed to us starting to invest in a platform shift where value can just develop a lot faster. And so as a a firm, we've made a lot of interesting bets, not just in gaming, in 2023. And I think that's all happened for the right reasons. And some of them are actually already bearing quite substantial fruit, like Mistral, for example. Yeah. So... We just need to be careful, I think, as investors are like as, from a portfolio composition perspective. Like, I think, will we ever turn down an exceptional opportunity when it presents themselves? When it pre- pre- presents itself, the answer is easy, and the answer is no. But we can also we can just choose how we um, spend our time as investors and where we're looking and where we're focusing or where we're spending that extra third or quarter. And whether that's whether that's spent on, for example, organizing an event to bring pre-launch founders together, or whether that's an event or initiative that really scans the the growth deal landscape and makes a concerted effort to kind of get in touch with every interesting company above a certain threshold. So Ultimately, everything in venture comes down to what do we find that we're truly excited about, and so it's it's also sometimes big danger or trap in venture investing. From my perspective, if I've learned one thing or a couple of things over the last four years of doing this, you should never have your thesis and then try and find the best team pursuing this thesis. If that team's and en- if that team ends up being like a you know, B plus team. B plus pretty good, but B plus probably not going to build you a $5 billion plus company. And it helps to have a prepared mind on a lot of areas, but it it really mostly helps you because when you see something that's truly extraordinary in terms of thesis and team behind it, you're faster to make a decision or you're you just have that institutional capacity to pull the trigger on something, even when it looks a little bit surprising, or even when it looks a little bit adjacent to whatever you might have been cooking up in your big like, strategy plan for 2024. And so it's, it's kind of like how I look at it. The best ideas, founders will have them, not, not VCs, I
0: think.
1: <laughs> but VCs, VCs need to be quick and prepared. When and, and also they need to do the work to be the pick, because those are probably going to be competitive rounds. Yeah.
0: Well, the last reflective question I was going to ask you was, how have you improved as an investor over the past couple of years, and how are you going to apply those learnings to to future deals? Maybe you just partially answered that question, but is there anything else you quickly want to to add to that?
1: Well, I'll just say like one one thing really quick is, it's really super interesting and an, an honor to work alongside investors who've been doing it in some cases for actually over 20 years at Lightspeed. And to just see how much time is spent on building processes and building frameworks for really high quality and repeatable decision-making and how that translates into how we organize ourselves and how we spend our time. It's a lot of fun. It can feel overwhelming at times, too. I, I I don't think I've never worked as hard. And I like to think I've never worked as smart as I have in 2023. And so to see what a great environment with people who drop everything, if you say this matters, and come and join you on a deal, but who will also push you at all times, and where you never feel whatever you do is perfect. And you'll always get like two, three new ways of thinking or suggestions layered on what you think was already great. I enjoy that quite a bit, just from a personal growth perspective. And so, yeah, little, little plug for Lightspeed. It's a pretty epic place to work at. So <laughs>
0: Sounds like it. Well, well, final question from me. We can wrap up. If anyone wants to to reach out to you or the team more, where is the best place to find you?
1: Yeah, it's very simple. We have we have a inbound form on the uh, Lightspeed Gaming website, and so despite what people might think, I actually read all that stuff. And we have our emails on our website too, so people can send me individual emails. I'll really try and respond to as much as possible, which is the majority of things that, that comes in. I definitely look at a hundred percent, and I scan everything personally that comes in. So people people can rest assured that I will see it. Um, yeah.
0: Well, even even if you're not looking to reach out, go check out the website. It's super slick. It makes me jealous <laughs> when, when thinking about my own website, too. But anyways, Moritz, thank you, as always, for, for hopping on. It's always a, a fun time talking to you. I always feel like I walk away smarter than, than when we started. Best wishes to you and the whole Lightspeed team in 2024, and thanks again. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, whether on YouTube or your favorite podcast app, make sure to like, subscribe, comment, or give a five-star review.